0: Be in. <clears throat> we will be in the book of Mark, chapter seven. If you'd like to turn there to follow along. Interesting, as Pastor uh, Kern uh, stated after after he read the passage. You know, interesting, and uh, how many things like that at moments you would. I like to be there, you know, as the Lord uh <laughs> engaged individuals at times like this. I think there's an interesting exchange between the Lord and these guys and come up and they, so as I was preparing as I was reading this passage and preparing for it, a statement, kept coming back to mind, you probably you've heard it in again odd humor I have perhaps. I look at it as something that I thought as the Lord in the situation sees you know these Pharisees, the scribes coming up the statement. I couldn't help but thinking is, uh, look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> Just and we know uh, we know the story. We most of us we are familiar with engagements before that the Lord has had with them, and we know others that He will have with them. And again, part of my you know that that statement can be used a couple different ways. It can be used in one, you know, someone who comes in and just looks rough, you know, just a little bedraggled, a little, you know, bent through the ringer, as some speaks. But sometimes it can be used for someone you just don't care to see a particular person or group. Now look at the cat dragged in. And, uh, anyway, I see that a little bit here, and perhaps we'll see something that, uh, you know, because we can look at this exchange, it's, a lot of it's straightforward, you know, to some degree. It's a lot, you know, it's pretty. You know, there's not a innuendo, so to speak, or whatever going on. But at the same time, there's always more going on than I think we give it credit for. Sometimes we can just breeze through certain passages as, like, yes, I get it, I've seen this or heard this before. But uh my thing again, some of these, these we've. You know, there's more, it's, it's, it's a lot of interesting things going on here, I think. And Part of it's interesting, you know, we haven't seen these guys in a while as we've been moving through the book of Mark. Saw them a couple chapters ago, but a lot of, take, a lot of things have taken place. A lot of events have taken place. You know, we've seen Jesus is called the storm. He's fed five, the 5,000. He's walked on the water. He's, he's healed even more people. In fact, just recently, as we finished out chapter 6, the Lord has been the area, in the area of Gennesaret healing multitudes of people. You know, we saw that they were just laying them down in the marketplace as he would walk by so they could reach out and touch his garment as they walked by. Hundreds. We don't even know to the, the full extent of how many people were. But many, many people being healed. And here come these guys again. You get the sense they're not just coming to find out, like, "Wow, what's going on?" Oh man, we got to get up there and be a part of this. Man, this is interesting. Uh, They got a bit of an axe to grind. You know right away. Again, we're some familiar with these things. They've got an agenda. You know, they've got something on their mind. They got a chip on their shoulder. And they're coming to confront Jesus Christ, confront the Lord. It opens in verse 1, says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Interesting there, a bit of pause there. We've seen him before. This is the first time I can remember. Maybe I'm mistaken. I didn't see, but in Mark's account, that it tells us that this is a group from Jerusalem. It's kind of like, oh, A-team's coming up. <laughs> you know, These guys may direct from Jerusalem. They're from, you know, it's almost like they're coming from, you know, the University of Jerusalem debate team. You know. This is the varsity squad coming up to deal and talk to the Lord Jesus Christ about what's going on and what he's been teaching. I almost picture it. Come up with, you know, their fancy robes embroidered and everything from Simcalp Epsilon or whatever kind of thing. They know what's going on. They got a good bead on things. If they're going to I'm going to find something. I'm going to take him to task. So they come up, to find something, confront him on some things, and they find something in here. It says, now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled file, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees, all the Jews, do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitches, copper vessels, and couches. And it says that they observe some of the disciples eating with, with unwashed hands, and they found fault. They found fault. They found failure. They found... Failure within these guys. These guys were messing up, eating with unwashed hands. Failure to maintain cleanliness, purity. Now, part of that too, it says some. We don't know. It wasn't the whole group of them. Apparently, it was some of them. I don't know who. You know, I've got my eye on them fishermen. <laughs> you know, i um, you. I can. I can support. I can kind of. Feel that, you know, it may come as a surprise, but there are too many sinks on job sites. At least most of the job sites I'm at. So most of the time, you've got a chance to really wash your hands too often when you're working. I can imagine some context there as well. Although they're on the sea, they could just dip their hands in the ocean or in the Sea of, sea of Galilee, so to speak. And I don't know, maybe Matthew, the tax collector, was one. You know, he just worked with, worked with money before. He wasn't used to washing his hands. But then they. You know, we now know that money's pretty dirty. <laughs> Not just spiritually speaking. You know, that's one of those things, you know, for those of you who are, you know, you know, germaphobes, you know, maybe digital is the way to go. <laughs> you can get your hands off that dirty money. But no, we don't know. It just says some. So they observed some, and they found fault. They found failure. They weren't washing. They weren't maintaining cleanliness, purity, Another statement you've probably heard, you know, cleanliness is close to godliness. It's interesting. That there's a semblance of truth to that. When we think about the law, how often we could look back uh, in the law, uh, uh, the Mosaic law throughout Exodus and Leviticus, how often washing was commanded. How many times the, the Lord, Moses, talks about washing. Washing. A couple times I'll just throw out a couple of uh, uh, verses. You don't have to turn there, but like in Exodus 30 and chapter 40, it talks about the laver that was it, within the courtyard, within the tabernacle, for the priest to wash during all the, the, the sacrifice of being in. It was washing, it was keeping their hands clean during their, during their service at the tabernacle and eventually at the temple. And other places in Leviticus, like chapter 6 and 18, it was a physical purity, whether they touched a dead body or other things that were unclean, it was washing. So there was a place to that. And again, we see that uh, how that would separate them from other nations of the world, from other peoples of the world, to keep themselves physically clean. A difference. You imagine, and we know uh, in other historical writings and things that, well, things back then were dirty. There's a reason so many diseases were prevalent at the time, because the understanding of germs and bacteria wasn't there. And while the Lord didn't spell it out that way through the law, it was a way by which the Jewish people would be unique. They'd be a healthy people, a stronger people, as simply by following those commands. But also through the law, the whole idea was the idea of, of being spiritually pure, spiritually clean. It does bring someone close to God. But like human nature is, they couldn't leave well enough alone. <laughs> well, if a little bit of soap is good, maybe a whole bunch of it <laughs> will be better. Or maybe as the saying, a little bit of soap or a little bit of water is good, but a whole lot can kill you. Maybe a little bit of the law is good, but if we add to it a whole bunch, well, that actually turns out to push you further away from God and bring you closer to him. It was interesting and they found fault. They found that these men were failing. They contend that, a failure, that it was a failure to observe the traditions of the elders that was making them defiled. They so said we have these traditions that are handed down by these elder statesmen of our people to wash in such a manner, to do this in such a manner. and They're failing, and, and, and what we see here is they, they address the Lord. And In verse 5, it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? They bring the question to him. Because I find this interesting that they come to the Lord. Why didn't they just go directly to the disciples themselves, the men who did it? Hey, why why are you doing this? Why why aren't you following the, the, the traditions of the elders? Maybe this this rich, but I think part of the failure they saw there wasn't just with the disciples. It was the failure, why did they focus on the Lord, because was a, they saw it as a failure of him as a teacher, as a leader. Why aren't you holding these men accountable? We can see what they're not doing. Don't you see it? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you saying something about this? Why aren't you doing something? If you are who you say you are, why are you allowing this? They go directly to Jesus and confront him about it. There's more than just a, you know, hey, by the way, in case you didn't know, you know, you guys didn't wash their hands before they ate. You know, they've tried direct assault on the Lord before, and they've also tried a side attack. So to speak. Before, back in in Mark chapter two, when the when the Lord and the disciples were walking through the field on the Sabbath and they were plick, picking, plucking, the grain and eating it, they called them out and said, "Hey, they're working. Why are why are you allowing them to work on the Sabbath?" And to confront them on that, and explain the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But they try this again, not directly at him, but kind of from the side. Hey, they're failing. Why aren't you doing something about it? And anyone who's been in leadership sometimes has to address those questions. The people under you, the people you're supposed to be leading and are charging, are, aren't doing what they're supposed to. Why didn't you address this? Why aren't you doing something about it? So they try coming at him that way finding fault. It's interesting, if this were a physical fight, these guys just gave the Lord a little tap, kind of you know, move up like ooh, you know, kind of feeling them out. You know, seeing what he's going to do. What kind of response they're going to get. Well, they're not ready for his response because when he responds BAM! Pops him right in the nose. I'm that scared. They're not ready for that. He lets them have it. That's part of the interest here that I see. <laughs> the Lord was often, we, we talked about our Lord being meek and gentle, and yes, he is, but don't ever confuse the Lord's meekness for weakness. And the Lord, oh, he'd bring it. And he is just about to bring it. Because Jesus responds by calling out their own failure. And he starts off, you know, smacking them right in the nose. He calls them hypocrites. Verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Well, you bet that stung. And again, in, in the context, this isn't like taking place in some secluded area, inside, away from everybody. No, this is out in the open. The disciples, the multitudes, we don't know how many is a big gap but it's not you know secluded. This is not one on one going on here. This is for everyone to see. This is a public spectacle, as it were. It's hypocrites. And, and he goes and he uses the scriptures to prove it. Hits them where they hurt as it were. It's where they live, so to speak. These are guys, again, Pharisees, scribes, they knew the law. They knew the word. They prided themselves on it. We know it better than anybody. We know forward, backward, inside, out, every jot and tittle. We know it. Do you now? (laughs) Do you now? The Lord's going to take you to task with it. He's going to use what you think know, you know best to point out your own failure. Points out their false worship. As he quotes Isaiah here, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You think you honor God? You think you respect him? You think you're following him his ways? You teach the commandments of men as if they were the commandments of God and expect people to follow them. You you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. You don't really observe the law because you emphasize tradition above it. They tap him, but he pops them. And he doesn't let up on them either. As <laughs> if what he said, quoting Isaiah, wasn't enough, he goes further and keeps at it. Almost kind of like he pops them, then boom, he works the body, works the body. Ooh, ooh, he's jabbing them. Takes them to Moses, tells them they reject the commandments of God. Not only do you not follow them, you reject them outright. And he quotes Moses, he quotes their hero so to speak Moses the lawgiver the deliverer what did Moses say he gives a very spe- specific example honor your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother let him be put to death That's what Moses said you know, again, to, figure, to get the visual in my mind of a crowd gathering around, a group of people rather than around, listening to this, as the Lord hits back with them with the word. In context today, you could almost hear some guy going, Oh, snap! Oh, you got him with that one! Oh, burn! Man. I don't know, they probably didn't say anything like that, but you can imagine the sideways glances of some people. That had to hurt. Well, he doesn't let up on them. He hits them pretty hard. And again, taking them to a very specific example then, as we see here beginning in uh, verse 11. He says, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, That is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Basically, what they're doing is they're allowing someone to circumvent the law by claiming that the, that the sport they may have given to their parents they're in their older age, their parents getting older, it was under their tradition, not tradition, under the law. Kids were supposed to take care of their parents as they got older, providing them a place to live, providing them sustenance, Them. That's how it worked. (laughs) The natural flow of life was that. But we see here taking place that apparently, if someone maybe only had so much money, they say, Well, the temple needs the money. You can give that, but I won't have enough money to take care of my family. Well, that's a gift to God. You can write it off, so to speak. It's okay. It's okay, as long as it's a gift to God. Instead of following the law to honor their parents, to honor the father and mother by taking care of them in their time of need, I said, well, I did have the means, but I gave it to the temple. It's a gift to God. Almost as if that should be acceptable. I mean, what are you going to say? Oh, how dare you give that to God? <laughs> it would almost make someone sound almost selfish. Well, that you should have given that to me. Help me with that. You could see how, again, that aspect of guilt and stuff can wrap itself up in this type of legalism. Adding to the law. You no, know, God always intended for, his, for for people to take care of their parents, to be there for them, not to use his the giving towards the temple, the giving towards God as an excuse to neglect the need of others. Excuse me, Paul restates this truth in 1 Timothy 5.8, saying, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. than an unbeliever. Almost be like if the Lord called them Gentiles. <laughs> they would be fighting words. And just anyway, you think that this is harsh at times later in other passages we know he calls them whitewashed tombs and open sepulchres. You almost think it's like, boy, the Lord never read the book uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, apparently. <laughs> but no, Jesus... Being the master teacher that he is, being God that he is, knew exactly what he was doing. Knew exactly the method that he needed to reach these men with. Because sometimes we can think he was merely defending his his disciples, that he was, you know, kinda like, How dare you? You know, call out my buddies. I'll take it on on you. And we can understand that in some degrees because I bet some of us can have an easy time turning the cheek when it's directed directly at us, but it's directed at a loved one. Oh, oh no, you didn't. (laughs) Kind of thing. And there may be some of that, possibly, but I think also at the same, the context of Jesus Christ did not hate these men. He was not responding out of hate or dislike, at least uh, them as people, as an individuals. Now he is responding out of love. Sometimes love doesn't always look like a big hug. You see, not everyone is the same. Some people need to be. Dealt with gently, need the gentle touch, need compassion, need the arm around the shoulder. And I like that. (laughs) I tend to be one more of the gentle touch, (laughs) except for when I'm up here. (laughs) You know, I don't like bringing the heat, so to speak, bringing the law, you know, as it were. Rather, bring grace. I like grace. I like getting and giving what I don't deserve or giving out what someone doesn't deserve. It's nice. People like that. They like hearing it. You usually get smiles. (laughs) Even if they don't agree with it, they like hearing it. But sometimes that's not always what people need to hear. That's not always what's going to reach their heart. Some people need the heavy hand. As it were. Some people need that smack upside the head to get their attention. You know, Jesus Christ didn't come to spare anyone's feelings, He came to save them. He came to preach the truth and see people saved. In Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful of the wounds in front. I forgot to write the other one down where it talks about, you know, rebuke a wise man and he will change. That idea, he will listen. Just telling someone what they want to hear really ever does them any good. And Jesus was telling these guys what they needed to hear. Yeah, I wonder if some of these men or any of those that came to to belief as mentioned in Acts, like Acts chapter 6 or 15, we are told that that many of the, the priests were believers and that those of the Pharisees rose up at the council of Jerusalem. I wonder... I don't know, this is pure speculation, but sometimes I do wonder if those who ever confronted the Lord Jesus Christ came to faith and then later won, won, scratched their heads looking back, laughing at themselves, going, how idiotic were we? You remember that time we went up to Galilee to confront the Lord Jesus Christ? And he just took us apart, point by point. Man, what were we thinking? No wonder. He was always three, four, five steps and points ahead of us. Because he's God. I wonder that because often that's what it takes for some people to be confronted directly, bluntly with the truth. When I see this passage here and I see the Lord's interaction with them, that's part what I see here. These men needed it, need to be confronted in such a manner that would bring them to a point of repentance at some point, maybe not this day, potentially another day after the resurrection, when suddenly everything that these men knew about the word, similarly like Paul, suddenly all became relevant and true, the reality of who Jesus of Nazareth really was crashing down on them and they were able to bend the knee and like Thomas say my lord and my God and I look at this passage as well for us today because sometimes we we look around us and again we wonder you know at times what do I say how do I speak you know the Lord never went looking for a fight as it were But he never backed down either. And I find that there is something for us as well. Now we look at all the contentions and all the attacks that can come and all the, the confrontations that may come to us. We don't go looking for a fight. But we don't need to back down either. As Paul said, we speak the truth in love. And sometimes that means telling people what they don't want to hear. But always keep in mind what Paul also said in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. No matter how contentious the debate or the fight may be between flesh and blood, they're not our enemy. They're not a real opponent. They just don't know they're being used. as we close, I also remember a statement. I can't remember where it came from. Some of the other men may remember. Right now, the church doesn't need nice guys or nice gals. In a certain aspect, the church needs dangerous men and women. Not violent. (laughs) Don't misunderstand me there. Ones who are willing to stand their ground for the truth. Regardless of the cost. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father. We come before you thankful that you are a God of truth. A God who tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And we pray that you, that your spirit would embolden us throughout our lives. That we may speak the truth in love. That others may hear it. And believe. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.